0: Core exercises train the muscles in your pelvis, lower back, hips, and abdomen to work in harmony. The Bible affirms that bodily discipline has some value. It is a good thing to do core exercises to keep fit. But did you know that spiritual fitness matters more? The gospel authors, including John, kept a detailed summary of what Jesus said. We can study and practice what Jesus outlines. We can actually learn from the ultimate trainer, Jesus. If we will pay attention, he will teach and tell each of us how to strengthen our core. So get ready to build spiritual muscle. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we love you, and we trust you. And that's why we want you, we're inviting you to tell us whatever we need to hear in the next few moments. We want to hear from you. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you that you will answer because we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. So we've been going through the Upper Room Discourse. Our purpose has been to understand some principles that Jesus provided that actually explain how we can prevail in the current age. We're in the interim between Jesus' first coming and his return. And Jesus actually provided incredible insight into how we can be prevailing saints in this season and so we've been doing this series called strengthening your core that's designed to help us lay hold of those principles thus far we've identified two key topics in the upper room discourse the first one one heart obey jesus because you love him and as you do your obedience will soar we gave you three exercises that you can use to grow your love for jesus so that you can have a rocket propelled faith. Then one way, trust him for direction for your destiny. As you do, you will benefit from his wisdom and we gave you one trust exercise. This is about having a laser guided faith. First one rocket propelled, this one laser guided. This morning we're going to talk about one truth, aligning your words and your deeds to the word and as you do, you will actually realize extraordinary results. This is about exponential impact. So we've got rocket-propelled faith, we've got laser-guided faith, and now we're going to have incredible power, exponential impact faith. The first mention of the truth, one truth, is found in a statement we looked at last week, where we listen to Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We looked at I am the way, in which we said he is the way maker, and he is the way marker. Now we're going to look at I am the truth, and that's our focus this morning. Now if you were to scan through the Upper Room Discourse, I, for each of these sermons, I go through and I highlight every verse that connects to this concept of the truth. And I found 31 verses scattered through 12 passages. Now, We're going to look at one of those passages this morning that has a lot to say, which is John 16, verses 7 through 15, and I certainly invite you to turn there. Before we, while you're turning, I'll just remind you of a few things. Why are these things so important? One heart, one way, one truth. Jesus tells us in the sermon that these are keys to spiritual survival, for example, one heart, if your obedience is not love-driven in this interim in which we live, you will burn out. He uses the word scandalizo. We get the word scandal. In other words, you'll crash and burn. One way, if your journey is not guided by his character and his direction, you will go into panic mode. And we looked at terrasso, that word last week. This week, we're looking at one word, which is saying, if your actions are not informed by his word, you will panic and live in fear of men. And both the word terasso and another one, dila'o, are used, which are basically saying, you're in trouble. You're going to freak out. You're going to have anxiety. Now, if these are things that are defining what it means to be strong in the interim, one heart, one way, one truth... That also tells us that it is the enemy's goal to tear those down. So what's his strategy? One heart? What do you think the enemy wants to do? He wants to delude us into adding other loves. For example, listen to this passage from Corinthians. I'm afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The enemy wants us to have more than one love, more than one heart, and that's what he's going to try and do, to get us devoted to Jesus plus instead of Jesus alone. Here's another strategy of the enemy that relates to one way. He wants to make following his way into a part-time pursuit that depends on context. You know, well, when I'm at church, I go this way, but when I'm with my buds, I go this way. And that's his strategy. One truth. This one is, I think, so relevant to today. The enemy's strategy includes getting us to deny or downplay uncomfortable passages. Listen to this statement from Luke 9, verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Now, there's anything Jesus has said that makes you uncomfortable and you kind of downplay it a little bit. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Man, this is sobering. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The enemy wants us to not say deny his word, although he'd like that, but that might be a bridge too far. So he gets us to deny the parts that we're uncomfortable with. Jesus says, I am the truth, the whole truth. And nothing but the truth. So let's read the passage and then we'll unpack it and see what it has to say for those who want to prevail in the interim in which we now abide. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. May God bless the reading of his word. So let's take apart this passage and see what it has to say, all right? Now I want you to notice something or remember something that you may have read in the earlier part of this Upper Room Discourse, actually just before Jesus began to speak. In John 12, 49, he said this. And to me, this is a stunning statement. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. What that's saying is that before he ever came to our planet, Father got together with Jesus and said, And there's another place where he was given another commandment. He said, I want you to go and lay down your life. So this is what I want you to do. But here Jesus is talking about, here's what I want you to say. And so Father got together with Jesus and said, you are going to earth. And when you do, here is the message. Here's exactly what I want you to say. Here's everything I want you to say. And so before Jesus ever came to our planet... He was given a specific father-delivered message that he was to impart to us, to his followers. In verse 12, in the passage we read, he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot cannot bear them now. In other words, father gave Jesus all that he is to communicate And Jesus is saying in the upper room, I have got so much more. Father gave me so much more that I want to give to you, but you're not ready. Pause. I wonder about instances in which Father has something he wants us to have, or Jesus wants us to hear, or the Spirit wants to impart to us, but we're not ready. Well, tuck that away. They're not ready for the whole package. What are we going to do? Jesus says, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. In other words, I've given you a certain amount, but there's more in Father's message. And so when the spirit comes, he is going to give you the additional part of the message. He says in uh, 1425, earlier than this passage. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. In the passage we have, he says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Father's given me everything I need to communicate to you, but you're not ready, so... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to round out your education. Jesus is the truth. And the Holy Spirit will help the disciples remember and process what they have heard. And the result is the Bible that you hold in your hand, the New Testament. Because the Spirit worked in them in such a way that they recalled now with dazzling clarity, Exactly what Jesus had communicated to them, and the Holy Spirit gave them the capacity to understand what they didn't understand. They weren't ready for before Jesus died. Now, in verse 7 of this passage, he says, But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Imagine that there was no Holy Spirit the disciples would be left with all that they could remember without the benefit of spiritual insight. And we would be in a world of hurt. I mean, I have trouble remembering many of you because it was 40 years ago that I first came to this church. John, the apostle, is recalling with explicit detail in this upper room discourse that we're we're reading about something that happened 40 years earlier. And the Holy Spirit is helping him do that. On day 40, after this conversation, Jesus ascended. On day 50, the Holy Spirit touched down. 50 days after Jesus was crucified. The Holy Spirit arrived, and the Holy Spirit works through the Word to produce numerous results, and they're specified in this passage. For the world there are three things that the Holy Spirit does. Conviction regarding discernment of sin, that's in 16.9. In other words, when the Word is ministered to someone who does not know Christ, one of the things that they see is, I'm not what I want to be, I see what I am. And it's not good. He also provides conviction regarding discernment. And I see what I'm not, that I wish I was. To actually see the character that was embodied in Jesus. The third ministry of the Holy Spirit is conviction via a certainty of judgment. I see what I deserve. So here's what the Holy Spirit does. Through his word, he ministers conviction in which I see what I am. I see what I'm not. And I understand I deserve judgment for that. The Spirit does that. In people whom I've had the privilege of leading to Christ, it's amazing to me how that conviction precedes being able to share the good news. Where they go, I see what I am. I see what I'm not. And I see what I deserve. And I know it. Can I share with you some good news? And they're ready. Salvation begins with a condemning heart. So job one is to help somebody get to that place. There are those who cannot acknowledge, I see what I am, I see what I'm not, and I deserve judgment. They're not at that place. The gospel is wasted on such a person. Now, it's not really wasted because we don't know. We have to share it with everybody. But this admission, I am a sinner and I deserve condemnation, It's absolutely necessary for someone to come to Christ. And the Holy Spirit is saying, and I, through the word, will do that. You can actually go up to someone, I can go up to someone and I can share the gospel with them. And if I'm sharing the word, the Holy Spirit will work in such a way that there is conviction and a realization. I need some good news. And then I can share with them. There are two other things that the word does, according to this passage and one that follows. He will disclose what is to come. This is a saint benefit. Uh, For a non-believer, this is not good news. But for us, it is really good news. He's saying, you are living in the interim. This is not where you're headed. You're on a rescue mission, to rescue as many people as possible who are on the Titanic partying and don't realize what's going to come. But he's going to disclose to us, through the Spirit, he's actually going to allow us to see what is coming. And then this one is mentioned in a later passage that connects with the truth, which is John 17:17, the prayer of Jesus after the meal. He says, sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. In other words, sanctification. It's possible for us to actually become and do like Jesus. And that's because of the Holy Spirit working through his word. Here's a basic summary statement I would make. The Spirit employs the truth to actually help us become someone new. You're not stuck in old you. Let me show you a passage, or I'll quote it to you, that actually talks about this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch, right? Because I am confident that in this room there are those who would say, you know, that term could describe me. Yeah, but listen to this. Here's the next part of the verse. Such were... Some of you. That term may have described who you were, but when he's talking, Paul, in this case, talking to the Corinthians, he's saying, But that term does not describe who you are. Why? How is that possible? But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God allows those who see what they're not and know what they are and know what they deserve, it's actually possible for them to come to Christ and then to go through a process in which the Holy Spirit, through His Word, transforms them such that it may have been true that they were an idolater, but that's not who they are. That's what the Spirit of God does. Bottom line from this passage is this. The spirit of truth communicates the word of God to our hearts. The spirit of truth works in accord with his word to accomplish extraordinary things. The spirit saves the lost via a word-driven conviction, transforms the saved via word-driven sanctification, and imparts true hope via word-driven expectation. That's what the Word, ministered by the Spirit, actually does. The Spirit of truth, in concert with Father and with Jesus, does remarkable things in partnership with us when we use the Word to inform our actions. So here's my question. It's really kind of a wondering. I wonder, in this room, who would say, I need a breakthrough Who in this room is reeling from a sense of powerless to change someone or something? I'm desperate, God, for you to work in the life of my son or my daughter or my parents to see while there's still time. Maybe this is about changing yourself, where you're saying, I am desperate. I am tired of being the same old me. God's word can help. God's word can make all the difference. Isaiah 55, here's God speaking. So will my words be which go forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I save it. That's God's word. So when we align how we live and how we minister with the word of God, we will tap into the power of God. So I thought it'd be fun to just, uh, you know, kind of give you something visual that would help. And so Breton, uh, come on up. It's your turn. You're going to help me here. All right. And I'm going to let you hold this mic for a minute, okay? Put that there. How you doing? Good. Okay, good. All right. So you're going to help me show people something very interesting, all right? So I'm going to sit. Are you a pretty strong guy? Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, okay. Maybe. Good humility, man. All right, that's good. All right. All right, so at first glance, how many of you think he can lift me? Uh, boy, not much. I'll oh, tell you. All right, I'm going to sit in this chair, and you can hand me the mic so you can use both hands. I'll give it back to you. All right, I want you to go ahead and uh, don't tip me over here, but lift me up. Okay, okay. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah. They they like your display of strength, okay? Uh, okay? Was that easy or hard? Um, A little bit on the hard side. Okay. Well, I wonder if there's something we could do that would make it easier. A lever, probably. A lever. What a great idea, and I happen to have one here. Okay. That's pretty ironic. All right, so why don't you... Why don't you come here? I'm going to take the mic again, all right? And if you would, uh, go ahead and lift up the lever. Very good, all right. And I'm going to stand. Well, I'll stand this way so I don't fall over. That would be bad. All right, you can go ahead and try and lift me. Yeah, just keep it there. And this is really fun because I've always wondered what it would be like to be 6'2". So... (laughs) You know, I I wish we could stay this way, but maybe not. All right, you can go ahead and let it back down, gently, of course. Yeah, don't want to whack in the chops. All right, and now you can go ahead and put the board back down. All right, come on back here, and I'm going to sit right here so we can have a chat, okay? So uh, how was that? Was that challenging, or how was that? Pretty easy. Pardon me? Easy. Easy, okay. So this was hard, but that was easy. Yeah, that's because you were using a lever, which is basically the long board with a fulcrum on it that allows you to actually, you were doing the lifting, you were doing the work, but that lever multiplied your accomplishment. That's the way the Word of God works. The Word of God, if we will do things according to God's Word, it's like a lever that helps us, when we have limited strength, to be able to accomplish things that they didn't really think you could do it. I mean... The chair was good enough, but this was amazing. So what do you think about that? The, the Word of God can help you do amazing things like a lever. That seem like something that could be useful? Yes, sir. Okay, good man. All right, thank you, Redden. Appreciate it. You've helped us a lot. <laughs> so hopefully, I, I realize that, you know, I'm talking all the sermon stuff. You're going, okay, I got that. That seems pretty easy. The uh, Word of God is like a lever. And if you will act and do and say in conjunction with the Word of God, then that actually makes it possible for you to do extraordinary things. Now, let me give you an example. Listen to this passage. This is uh, just parts of Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Hang on a minute. The devil, the most amazing being ever created, our adversary, you can actually successfully defend yourself against him? Yes. And then he explains why. I'm not going to go through all the armor, but let's just talk about two that are word-connected. He says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith... And faith is believing what God has said. So when you believe what's in the word, you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Me? You? Are capable of saying, back off, Satan? Yes. Darts will not hit their mark if we use the word of God because faith is believing what God has said. Then he says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now there, the word word is not the word we're used to, which is logos. It's rhema. And rhema is a word that describes a situation-specific word. In other words, if you will find the scripture that connects to your situation, you can actually successfully stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The word will become your lever that is capable of giving you the capacity with the Spirit's help of actually successfully defying our adversary. So if you will align your words and your deeds with the word of God, you will dramatically multiply the positive results of your actions. So let's do a little diagnostic, shall we? here's how ask yourself to what extent is what I am thinking and saying and doing a reflection of what the word teaches that's when the powers deployed is what I'm doing and you can ask yourself this at any moment in the coming week is what I am doing right now does it grow out of what the word says because if not it's just me. But if it is something that works in conjunction with God's word, God's word is my lever that takes this person and provides disproportionate impact because he's doing it. Now, let me give you a little example. This is an old illustration. I think it comes from the 40s, but, uh, but it, it'll still make sense, I think. It's about the woodcutter and the chainsaw. The woodcutter was made his living by chopping firewood and so he would go out each day with his bow saw and his splitter and he would do everything he could to you know make a make a bunch of wood that could be burned or used and somebody said to him hey have you ever thought about getting a chainsaw chainsaw what's that oh yeah just go down to the the power tool store and tell them you want a chainsaw get that and it'll make all the difference in the world so he thought well I'll, I'm up for anything that will help me. So I went, got a chainsaw, brought it out the next day, and he worked like a dog. Got maybe a cord or so, and he's going, this is really crazy. They said this was going to really help. I don't think it's helping. So I went out the next day and worked like more than a dog, my favorite thing, and, and still didn't believe his production. So I went back to the store and he said, man, I don't know what it is. This chainsaw is just not cutting it, literally. And the guy said, well, come on back to the shop. We'll check it out. So I brought it back to the shop and he started it up. And the woodcutter says, what's that sound? (laughs) Well, some of you got it. All right. (laughs) I'll take what we can get. Uh, It's it's no fun to explain jokes. He was trying to cut the logs without turning on the motor of the chainsaw. (laughs) The power is only unleashed when you activate it. In the last days, this comes from Timothy, there will be many who advocate some sort of godliness that is disconnected from its power source. They're going to try and cut wood with a dead chainsaw. It says in 2 Timothy holding to a form of godliness even though they deny its power. Oh, I'm interested in godliness. Oh, well, have you read this? Don't tell me about that. I just, you know, I like to you know, we each need to find our own godliness. Here are three exercises that you can use that will help you unleash the power of the truth because so far what I've told you is we ought to be people of the word. Now you're Asking the question, okay, so how? How can I become more a person of God's word? Exercise number one internalize the word. In Proverbs 22 17 through 21, it says, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your mind to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips. So that your trust may be in the Lord, I have taught you today, even you, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you might correctly answer him who sent you. One exercise that you can do is to start putting God's word in your mind, to start memorizing it. And for many of you, I know that you do. Keep it up. Figure out ways to go deeper and to keep memorizing more and more and more as you internalize the word, it becomes a lever in which God's power is unleashed in what you're saying and what you're doing and what you're thinking. Exercise number two. This one's, I think, interesting because of its contemporary connection. Screen chatter, and I'm using screen there in a verb sense, screen chatter to study truth. We often quote the first verse I'm going to uh, tell you 2nd Timothy 2 15 but we don't see verse 16 that follows it and it actually has a conjunction an adversative conjunction that links the two he says be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth all right yes let's be accurate handlers let's be not ashamed because we're taking the word of God we're exploring and ex- uh pulling out what it says and then using that to define our actions and what we do. That is so good. Yeah, but did you notice the word but that follows in the next verse? But, avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness. In other words, if, I'm not trying to put words in God's mouth, but, uh, or uh, Peter, Paul, Timothy, but Paul would say if he was, Here today, he would say, study to show yourself approved unto God and turn off your cell phone. Go offline. Because the overwhelming majority of what you're going to hear through those doorways is worldly and empty chatter. So this exercise is basically disconnect, unplug so that you can present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Spend time with God's word, with everything else, on pause. You know, it's so easy for us. We're having devotions, and we hear that, whatever your tone is, that tells you that there's a text message, and you check it. And I'm not saying that you need to basically become a hermit. But how much do we screen out the chatter in the interest of saying, God, I want to just hear what you have to say right now. So screen the chatter to study the truth. Here's a third exercise that to me is a really good one. Uh, It informs something that I do personally that I want to share with you. He says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, for this reason... We also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Basically, what Paul is saying is, Thessalonians, I am in awe of what you did. Because when we shared with you the word of God, you didn't just treat it as something we were saying, you treated it as a letter from God to you. So in the morning, most mornings, I'd love to say every morning, but most mornings when I get up, what I do is I say, Father, I want you to show me what I need to see, and I want to hear what you have to say. And so then I read the Bible until I find something that that kind of pops out in neon, and I realize that's what God's got for me today. Now, I'm amazed how sometimes it's the very first verse I read. Sometimes I read multiple chapters until I get there, but I arrive at a one that for whatever reason, my circumstances are such that I go, oh wow, that's for me. That's today. Thank you, Father. Thank you for teaching me. This Bible is not just a book. It's God's letter to you. It has in it what God wants to tell you. So read it and find what he wants to tell you. Uh, I realize that this is dad humor, okay? But for some of you, it'll be okay. It's not just, uh, it's not just a love letter. It's a lever letter. Whack <laughs> whack. okay. <laughs> it's God's way of saying, here's what I want you to know, and if you will do this, I am going to work through you in a way that is exponential. You're going to see things accomplished that go way beyond your human ability. Imagine with me. Here's Jesus, and he's ministering. While he was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Jesus indicates that congratulations are in order, congratulations that go beyond what a Mary was worthy of for those who hear and heed his word. So what would it be like to stand in the presence of Jesus someday And for him to say to us, way to go. In John 15, 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In other words, word-driven prayer accomplishes on a level that non-word-driven prayer can't compare with. Jesus is explaining a vital connection between word-abiding and answered prayer. What would our times of prayer be like if they were word-driven? Because Jesus says, if you abide in my words, in other words, your life is defined by what my word says, and my words abide in you, you've done exercise one and two, you've internalized it. Ask whatever you wish it'll be done for you listen to this one this one to me is so amazing as i contemplate us as a church now this is a church not unlike ours that jesus addressed a letter to specifically church in philadelphia and this is what he said i know your deeds Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Here's a church. I wonder what would happen if you said it like this to 1st of Anne. I am going to put before you an open door And nobody's going to be able to shut it. Because you are a people who are keeping my word and not denying my name. Imagine what it would be like if Jesus saw us as the people who are keeping his word. I wonder if he would open a door that no one can shut. Well, there's only one way to find out. Shall we pray? Father, we want to be a people whose thoughts, whose deeds, whose words are driven by the word. We want to be a people who pray your word. We want to be a people who study your word and screen out the rest of life in order to listen to you and what you have to say. We are in awe of the fact that your word is like a lever that takes our pitiful actions and turns them into things that move the very engines of eternity, that move the gearworks of heaven. Father, make of us a people who are people who keep the word. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and we want to be those who honor the truth that Jesus gave us that he got from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.